0: It's Monday, November 20th. I'm Trayvall Anderson. And I'm Josie Duffy
1: Rice. And this is What A Day, where we are living for Ruby's look at the F1 Las Vegas Grand Prix. What is the Grand Prix?
0: I don't know what an F1 Las Vegas Grand Prix is, but she looked amazing.
1: And I would love to see an album in the form of that look. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, just encouragement. On today's show, at least seven people are dead after an underwater earthquake struck the southern Philippines. Plus, Donald Trump can remain on Colorado's primary ballot.
0: But first, an update on the war in Gaza. According to the Washington Post, Israel and Hamas are close to an agreement in the latest stage of this decades-long conflict. The tentative deal, which is being brokered by the U.S., would involve an at least five-day pause in violence in exchange for the release of at least some of the women and children hostages in batches every 24 hours the pause in fighting would also allow a significant increase of humanitarian aid including much needed fuel to make it into gaza this all reportedly comes from an anonymous administration official but nothing is set in stone as of yet it remains a volatile situation and anything can happen to thwart the agreement still
1: yeah as we've obviously learned these past month or so, all this stuff feels very precarious. Mm -hmm. But this is some of the most promising news we've gotten recently, at least. I do notice that you use the word pause and not ceasefire which feels important.
0: Yes. So you'll remember that President Biden and Secretary of State Antony Blinken have both floated the idea of a potential pause. They've been calling them humanitarian pauses over the last couple weeks. They've not used the word ceasefire, seemingly because of the social and political associations attached to it. But I think the word pause is also being used because Israel intends to resume the violence After this break, on Friday, the head of Israel's National Security Council told reporters that a limited ceasefire could be possible, but only after hostages were released. He added, quote, and it will be limited and short because after that, we will continue to work towards achieving our war goals, which they have already said is to wipe out Hamas. No matter the language choice, though, if this deal does come through and a pause in violence does happen, It'll be welcomed news for the entire region over there, which is in extended turmoil over this. Over the weekend, for example, Houthi rebels in Yemen, which is an Iran-backed group, they took over a cargo ship linked to Israel that was traveling in the Red Sea, taking hostage over two dozen crew members. The group said, quote, all ships belonging to the Israeli enemy or that deal with it will become legitimate targets. And we've spoken over the last couple of weeks how, you know, the Biden administration wanted to make sure that the conflict was as contained as possible and it did not spill over to other countries. But we're beginning to see that it already is doing so.
1: So there was a time in this war where it seemed like Israel would never consider a deal like this. Mm-hmm. Even like a few days ago, this seemed a pause seemed not on the table. Yeah. It took kind of a lot to get a couple hours pause mm-hmm. fairly recently. So what has changed? Like why now?
0: Yeah. And
1: why are they willing to kind of even take a five-day break, which again, like you said, not a ceasefire. Right. Ceasefire's stopping indefinitely. But a five-day break still seems like a pretty big step from where they were.
0: And it is, it absolutely is. According to someone on the inside, this again is coming from the Washington Post. It is partly due to domestic pressure, that is forcing Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to really reconsider these options. As we mentioned on the show before, some Israelis, especially those family members of the hostages, they feel like not enough is being done to bring their loved ones home and that Israel should have prevented the October 7th attack by Hamas in the first place. Thousands of folks actually ended a five-day march from Tel Aviv to Netanyahu's home in Jerusalem on Saturday to demand a different type of action. So domestic pressure is significant. But then I also think international pressure is proving to be effective. In so many ways, Israel is losing the narrative battle as it relates to the conflict, Part of that is because of the disproportionate scale of violence. Hamas killed about 1,200 people in their initial attack, while over 11,000 people in Gaza have been killed since. Countless others wounded or injured. That's in addition to the millions displaced from their homes and that don't have enough food to eat or water to drink. Gaza's largest hospital, Al Shifa, is, according to the United Nations, a "quote unquote" death zone now. Mm. Relatives said that three more journalists have been killed by Israel, bringing the number to 48, according to the Committee to Protect Journalists. Also, more than 100 countries have called for a full and immediate ceasefire. Mm. And Netanyahu even acknowledged the impact of the international community on Saturday, saying, "Quote for international support to continue." humanitarian aid is essential. Because of that, we accepted the recommendation to bring fuel into Gaza. So he's basically saying that the only reason he was allowing fuel into the Gaza Strip is to maintain whatever international support that is going on. But as I already mentioned, this supposed deal is not final. As we have seen, as you have just mentioned, the conflict is ever evolving. But we will be sure to bring y'all any updates as we have them.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a choice to say, like, we're giving them aid because it's a PR move.
0: (laughs) And that's exactly what it sounds like. Yes.
1: Thank you for that, Travell. Now, in other news, on Friday, Sam Altman, the CEO and co-founder of OpenAI, was ousted from his own company by the board of directors. OpenAI, of course, is the company that created ChatGPT, the most visible AI tool of our time. Altman's ousting was not only a shock to him, but also a surprise to others in the company and to Silicon Valley more broadly, and it could have an effect on the immediate future of AI. But as of record time, the question is actually whether or not his firing will even stick. So a lot has happened this weekend.
0: Definitely a lot has happened. This kind of came out of nowhere. Let's start with what happened on Friday. Tell us a little bit about Altman and what he experienced.
1: So Altman founded OpenAI in 2015. It originally was a nonprofit focused on like making sure that AI benefited humanity. In 2019, it became a for-profit company and its entire focus has basically been AI, developing AI, controlling AI, et cetera. As you probably already know, ChatGPT is one of the leading and most public AI projects in existence. A hundred million people use it every week and it's really accelerated regular people's access to AI and therefore the conversation around the need to regulate AI. And in fact, Altman has been a pretty vocal proponent of regulation, at least to some degree, which I will get to more in a minute. Anyway, suffice it to say that Altman was one of the tech industry's most prominent leaders and CEOs, especially over the past year. And basically no one expected him to be fired, including, as I mentioned, himself. He did not see this coming. But on Friday morning, the board Fired him, they did it. They said in a statement that, quote, Mr. Altman's departure follows a deliberative review process by the board, which concluded that he was not consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its ability to exercise its responsibilities. The board no longer has confidence in his ability to continue leading OpenAI. In the hours after he was fired, the president of OpenAI, George Brockman, also quit. Brockman had co-founded the company with Altman.
0: Deliberative review process sounds very intentional, like Mm -hmm. they know exactly what they did and why they did it. Sounds like they're implying that Altman either lied to or misled the board somehow about something. Do we know what they're talking about?
1: The short answer is that we don't. What we do know is that, according to internal messages obtained by The New York Times, the decision was not made in response to, quote, malfeasance or anything related to OpenAI's financial business safety or security slash privacy practices. So that kind of covers, like, the main things that you would think mm-hmm. when you hear that someone's, like, not been honest. And so it really kind of poses the question of, like, what was this? Is this kind of a way of excusing their decision to let—I don't know. It's hard to know what's going on, right? The mm-hmm. details are still very, very unclear. It is worth noting that ChatGPT has been criticized for not being cautious enough when it comes to the potential— harm that AI could cause. And Altman has actually done a lot on this front, at least publicly, he's testified in front of Congress asking for more regulation of AI, etc. But some people feel like that's just kind of been for optics and that he in actuality is not careful enough that he's more concerned with ChatGPT being number one than he is with controlling the technology. In an interview on Wednesday, before he was fired, he stated, quote, I believe that this will be the most important and beneficial technology humanity has ever invented. And I also believe that if we're not careful about it, it can be quite disastrous. And so we have to navigate it carefully. I think you want the CEO of this company to be somewhere in the middle, which I think I am. But again, some have criticized him for not really being careful enough. It's not clear if that's a source of the board's decision. Maybe the board thought he was too careful. We don't really know anything, but that has certainly been kind of like a more public criticism of the company.
0: Right. So what happens with OpenAI now?
1: Well, as of Friday, Mira Marathi, who was formerly OpenAI's chief technology officer, was appointed as the interim CEO. But wildly enough, it's possible that Altman will be reinstated actually. Like it seems like this weekend, at least according to reports, he's waged a pretty intense pressure campaign on staff, on board members on investors that could basically put the board in a position to reinstate him in order to keep the company together. And it could also lead to some fundamental shifts on the board. So instead of him really being ousted, we could see board members Mm. losing some power here or power shifting. Mm -hmm. But as of right now, that reinstatement is not a guarantee, at least as of record time on Sunday night. So we are gonna keep our eyes on the story as it continues. But that is the latest for now. We will be back after some ads.
0: Now let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. At least seven people are dead and two others are missing after an underwater earthquake struck the southern Philippines on Friday. The 6.7 magnitude earthquake hit the Mindanao region at 4.14 p.m. local time. No tsunami warning was in effect. The tremor damaged a school in dozens of homes, caused ceilings in shopping malls to fall, and cut power across villages. City officials said on Saturday that 32 people were hospitalized and more than 500 others had minor injuries. Earthquakes in the Philippines are frequent because the group of islands lie along the Pacific Ring of Fire, a region that the United States Geological Survey describes as the, quote, most seismically and volcanically active zone in the world. Earlier this year, a 7.0 earthquake struck the northern Philippines and killed at least four people.
1: On Friday, a Colorado judge dismissed an effort to keep former President Donald Trump off the state's primary ballot in 2024. It's another win for Trump after courts in Minnesota, Michigan, and New Hampshire rejected similar legal claims in recent weeks. Colorado District Judge Sarah Wallace wrote that the 14th Amendment's Insurrection Clause, the part of the amendment that bars insurrectionists from public office, did not apply to a president. However, Wallace simultaneously ruled that Trump, quote, engaged in an insurrection by sparking the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol and rejected his attorney's arguments that he was simply exercising his free speech. The case, brought by the watchdog organization Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, was the first to go to trial and is seen as a test case for the broader disqualification effort, The group has already said that they would appeal to the state's Supreme Court.
0: Former First Lady and humanitarian Rosalind Carter died peacefully yesterday with her family by her side in her Georgia home. She was 96 years old. Rosalind devoted herself to different social causes throughout her life, but particularly in mental health advocacy. She was seen as an extension of President Carter and his decision making, earning her the nickname of the Steel Magnolia. In fact, she was the first First Lady to set up an office in the East Wing of the White House and only the second to testify in Congress after Eleanor Roosevelt. After leaving Washington, the husband and wife team founded the Atlanta-based Carter Center in 1982, which houses Jimmy Carter's presidential library and an influential nonprofit focused on international peacekeeping. Rosalind was diagnosed with dementia in May, and on Friday, the Carter Center announced she had entered hospice care. Former President Jimmy Carter said in a statement shortly after his wife's passing, quote, Rosalind was my equal partner in everything I ever accomplished. She gave me wise guidance and encouragement when I needed it. As long as Rosalind was in the world, I always knew somebody loved and supported me.
1: As a Georgia native and current Georgian, it's very sad. But she lived a really good life. And finally, we've got some good news for Angelenos ahead of the holiday weekend. The 10 freeway in Los Angeles is expected to be, quote, fully operational before this morning's rush hour. That's according to California Governor Gavin Newsom, who said at a news conference yesterday that the freeway was safe to reopen as early as Sunday night. He was joined by L.A. Mayor Karen Bass, Vice President Kamala Harris and Senator Alex Padilla. I feel like to understand how important this freeway is Mm -hmm. (laughs) to L.A. and California, all you have to know is that the vice president (laughs) was part of this (laughs) announcement. Take a listen to what Vice President Harris had to say. The work that happened here is extraordinary, and it really is a function of the will and the ambition of the workers on the ground who understood what closure of the 10 would mean for folks on a daily basis and their commitment as public servants, as union members, to get this thing done. I have to say... This is like the only infrastructure project I've ever seen be finished ahead of schedule. So that alone (laughs) feels like news to me. The mile-long stretch of Interstate 10 was shut down after a fire erupted on November 11th and damaged more than 100 support columns. The arson fire was fed by flammable materials that were stored under the freeway, including wooden pallets, construction materials, and hand sanitizer, among other things. And according to the Associated Press, state inspectors had visited the location six times since 2020 and flagged problematic conditions for years at the lease space under the 110. About 300,000 vehicles use the freeway every day, and officials had initially said it could take anywhere from three to five weeks for the freeway to reopen. In the meantime, Angelinos can expect periodic closures as repairs go on in the weeks to come.
0: I just want to shout out the people who actually did the work to get the freeway Mm -hmm. back together because Mm -hmm. it must have been a lot of overtime. I can only imagine for it to go from potentially five weeks, well over a month right to now a few days it feels like maybe a week i think since the fire itself so shout out to them and shout out to our improved holiday commutes
1: yeah this is not a small undertaking at all so it's pretty amazing that this happened
0: absolutely and those are the headlines One more thing before we go, everyone loves a Black Friday sale, but charging through a mall parking lot with a stomach full of pie just doesn't hit like it used to. Shop the Crooked Store's Black Friday deals from the comfort of your couch. The Crooked Store's biggest sale of the year is here and everything is 20% off. It's the perfect time to grab that merch you've had your eye on and stock up on gifts for the Crooked fans on your list. Bestsellers like the Leave Trans Kids Alone, You Absolute Freaks, Tease, Stocking Stuff like socks and stickers they're all 20 percent off plus look out for surprise flash sales all week long head to crooked.com store to shop and make sure you're signed up for the email list to find out the moment each flash sale starts that is all for today if you like the show make sure you subscribe leave a review thank the workers who repaired the freeway and tell your friends to listen
1: and if you're into reading a not just silicon valley drama like me what a day is also a nightly newsletter so check it out and subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe i'm josie duffy rice
0: i'm treyvale anderson and rihanna we're, we're ready, ready for, for the album whenever you you're are. ready I feel like every time someone brings it up, she turns the clock back. <laughs> I know. It's, <laughs> it's like we just have to all be very quiet. From scratch.
1: <laughs> we have to be really quiet and let her take her time.
0: Let her take her time. Or guess what? We're going to end up like Andre 3000 with a new album. And he don't say not nary a word on it. It's all wind instruments and stuff.
1: Look, at this point, I'll take whatever I can get from both of them. So... <laughs>
0: What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our show's producer is Issy Quintanilla. Raven Yamamoto and Natalie Bettendorf are our associate producers. And our showrunner is Leo Duran. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka.